Welcome to the Summit Series podcast by Elevation Capital, where we will be speaking to some of the India's top business minds on their journeys and the lessons they've learned along the way. Our guest today is Ankush Sachdeva, co-founder and CEO of Mohalla Tech, the company behind Moj and ShareChat, which is India's largest regional language social platform. The company started out with ShareChat, but Moj has in a short span of time become India's number one short video app. And despite being just a six-year-old company, the scale at which its platforms operate is truly mind-boggling. And where today, one in four online Indian users are a user of ShareChat and Moj. This is my first episode on the Summit series. And Ankush, I could not think of a better guest to have than you. Thank you, Ankush, for joining us today. And many congratulations on the latest fundraise of $500 million where the valuation of the company has now reached more than 2 billion. Thank you. Thanks, Mank, for having me. I'm very excited to be here and discuss our journey. We recently had a very big day in our journey as a startup where we raised a half billion dollar capital. And we are pumped up to to build the largest AI-powered content ecosystem in India. Yes, yes, we are. We are on our way. So before we begin talking a lot more about you and your journey, I wanted to share some facts about the company with our listeners. As I said, ShareChat is India's first and largest homegrown social network. The company today serves nearly 280 million monthly active users across its two platforms of Moj and ShareChat. This user base has grown nearly 8x in the last 12 months, and both platforms are market leaders in their own spaces. We first invested in the company in August 2015, Our first investment was a million dollar seed check. And at that time, I I still get goosebumps thinking about that time. ShareChat had less than 1,000 daily active users. So Ankush, uh, let's start right from the beginning. And let's start from the time when probably when ShareChat did not even exist. Mm -hmm. I remember ShareChat V1 was actually the 15th idea that you... Farid and Dhanu were working on. And this is something that you decided to build and test. And you were all still in college when Mohalla Tech started out. I remember when I first came to Bombay to meet the three of you, I didn't meet you. You were in IIT Kanpur, wrapping up your NSEMS. Yeah. So Ankush, where did this entrepreneurship bug come from? Was it like just you wanted to build products, build companies? Or you, three of you were convinced that entrepreneurship is a way of life for you. This is the best way you want to create impact in the world. Yeah, so I think we we met, uh, the three of us met in 2012. And the one thing that was common in all of us, we all of us wanted to build products. We didn't really think of companies and we didn't, didn't even understand what a what difference between a company and product is. But all we cared about is we want to build good products, see that scaling up, people using it. And that used to give us kick. And while being in college, we built 14 different products, as you mentioned, like right from a real estate portal to food recipe app. And like there there were many, many different ideas. One of the projects actually scaled up really well in college. So we built a dating app and launched it on the Valentine's Day. uh, That was called Puppy Love. And that got around 70% of the college campus to enroll on that and use that. So I think that was the first taste of success we had. But again, it was a college centric product. So it didn't, didn't go beyond that. I think the underlying feeling why at least I personally wanted to not have a usual campus placement 
is probably my internship in 2014 at Microsoft. And I think I, I just didn't, I didn't feel like I belonged there. I want to get stuff done and it's really hard to get stuff done in, in that kind of a setup. So I thought this is something that doesn't give me happiness. And I would rather want to try something else. Like building products in college, in whatever condition made me happier than having a really well-built luxurious office in Microsoft and working there. So I think that is the first feeling uh, that I personally got that I'd probably not want to work on that kind of a setup and instead build own products. And I think that is when, uh, in fact, this is a very interesting story. In December 1, 2014, I had to sit in placements, uh, for placements in IIT Kanpur and we had failed 14 times. And we, I, I had to make a call like, should we try the 15th time or maybe just give up and sit for the placements? And I think a few days before that is when we had seen that Facebook post of people putting phone numbers and getting into WhatsApp groups. And that was a very, very unique thing that we saw. And I think the, the call I took was, yeah, this looks good. Like the 15th time I think will work. So let's, let's not sit for the placement. And then I took a train to Mumbai and went to meet Farid and Bhanu because they were already there. I think that was one of the very pivotal moments in my life where it could have gone either ways. I'm very glad you chose this way. So Ankush, this is a question I think a lot of founders in their lives ask themselves, right? It was very, it was like super, super early for you, right? But founders have this question that should they gain some work experience, figure out what work life is like, and then start out, right? Some people want to build some sort of uh, maybe monetary security before they start working on their uh, startup. So how did you evaluate your own capabilities that, yes, I have it in me to do this? And more broadly, what would be your advice to someone who's today making that decision, that same decision? Should I sit in the placements, do a job for two, three years, or should I just start out right now? How should they think about it? Yeah, I think there are multiple dimensions to think about it. Like, for example, if you had taken a debt to to get to college and, and that's something that you want to pay off and you don't have that sort of financial backing from your family for whatever reason, I think then it's a very different sort of decision. But I think apart from that, I think the risk associated with starting up is probably people attach too much risk to it. Like what what could be the worst outcome? You start up, you work hard for two years, you fail and you go back to the job market. It, it still would be a positive on your resume that you worked so hard. Like, for example, when we evaluate candidates, we actually, if you have worked and tried your own startup, that's a plus for us. We count that two-year experience as a four-year experience for us. So I think we attach far more risk than there is. And if you have the luxury of having a prestigious college name with you, then the risk is even lower. Like, I, my thought process was, if I fail, I still believe I can go back to Microsoft or Google two years down the line. That should not be a problem for me. Like I, I had that confidence that there's a backup plan in case everything fails. And if that is happening, like just jump in and you won't get as much fun building your own product as anything else that was on the option plate for me at that time. Sure. And I think the marriage market is also not so bad for uh, for guys <laughs> just getting into the startup world, right? Parents are, I think, a lot more accommodating. Yeah, I think now people are getting much more used to <laughs> especially parents hey. cool so let's say somebody decided to take this plunge right they need something like a problem to solve for or a hypothesis to test out right how did you guys 
arrive at that problem that hypothesis see back then geo wasn't there lot of things were just very nascent everything seems to be broken right it was maybe it was easy to find a problem yeah. but was there a method to your approach did you have some framework to say if a problem fits into these buckets that's the problem i want to chase how did you go about finding that idea to build out yeah so i think we again we had a very unique journey failing 14 times and what we learned was whenever we spend too much time on the whiteboard thinking and and feeling that we are the smartest people in the world that we figured something out and then we go and solve it it turned out to be wrong i think you are much more likely to find a problem when you are on the ground talking to people figuring out things so for example the way we found the share chat market gap like this vernacular content market gap was when we were trying to build opinion a debating product and we were trying to share that link of that product into different facebook groups to get more traffic and that is where we discovered this unique phenomenon and that is when we realized oh it's a it it makes sense because there are so many non english people on the internet the content on your major content apps are all english and therefore there is so much demand to consume content from whatsapp like whatsapp is not designed for content consumption yet people are flocking to that app to consume content so i think that observation then led to a hypothesis that yes this is a large market then we looked at how does the print consumption look like in india it's all non english how does the tv consumption look like in india it's all non english how does the ad market look in india for the traditional media it's all non english so this is going to be the future so from that observation then we had a hypothesis that yes this is a, a problem worth attacking a very large outcome we would have fun building it and we we have a very unique insight on the go to market for this so i think it 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 boiled down from there so you you want to have an hypothesis before you go all in but i would not want to bet on a whiteboard that few people come together and just write something on the whiteboard and they figure out i think it's more about just being on the ground hustling listening being very very observant about about the world around you i think that leads to much higher quality ideas and there's another dimension that to me has always stood out about share chat and and the three of you is that this sort of dna of rapid experimentation right i remember there was a purple share chat then there was a blue share chat and then there is this new share chat right we used to call it by the different names right and it was it was not just iterative it was massive changes in the product right and these were like all sorts of big experiments so how did that dna come into the company is that something that you actively cultivated and there's always a cost associated with experimentation right so how do you do it in a least possible cost at the fastest possible time how did you build that dna into the organization yeah i think rapid experimentation has been in my opinion one of the biggest strengths of us as a company and now that we look at it in the hindsight if you look at all the top companies in our industry they all had that dna like that's a very very important dna to be in your company when you're building a social media kind of a business and i think it 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 has also evolved over time so when we for example got this insight on whatsapp sharing and all of that it took us 10 days to get to the first version of share chat we called it share chat red it was a public chat room sort of a product uh, that we had built and we quickly realized a few things we 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 knew like the metrics were not so great there were some glimpses of people coming and enjoying but it wasn't a like a home run kind of a product and therefore at that point the mindset that we had was you do not want incremental changes here 
like when you are in the phase of pre-PMF, you want you want large levers that you can iterate on and get to a like a step change in your in your product. So I think the the speed of iteration remains constant, but the quantum of jumps you want is very very high in the beginning. Like there's no point spending one year in iteratively changing like a like or share button the positioning and all. Like all of these are small A/B tests you can do two years on the line when you have a PMF. But at that point, so we went from a public chat room to a chatbot to a content feed. These are massive jumps. These are fundamentally different products. But we like realized the challenges with every single model, and we eventually came to the conclusion where I think how Facebook would have come to the conclusion that feed is actually the best way of serving content to the user. So we came to that same conclusion, which ByteDance came, which Facebook came in their own times, but very organically by building these different models of serving content. Like we had a chat room, we had a chatbot. We figured it's not the most optimal way of of serving content. Got it. So now when I look at ShareChat. maybe even 2 years from the start point right it was a fairly large company there were 50 100 employees how do you translate this dna into the whole organization especially when not all employees will be the core pg of this product right not yeah. all of them will come from small towns they may not directly associate with the problem themselves mm-hmm. so how do you ensure that this dna is right through the organization through every employee because mm-hmm. only then will they be product building the product in the right manner yeah I think this was a very big challenge and we we knew this is going to happen and therefore thinking from first principles became even more important because you can't really build a really good intuition unless you spend a lot of time with this user and this product on day 1 you will have a really bad intuition about this and and you would you would agree to, to that mayank when we were pitching to all vcs who were iphone using us returned folks <laughs> it was really hard to explain like the intuition doesn't get built up it's very very contrarian to build a product for this audience so i think we focused very heavily on first principles data backed experiments and all of that and that became a part of the culture i think it is a forcing function that like we don't use a product ourselves like a consumers therefore we are always sort of insecure that are we missing something can we go and talk to more users can we look at more data and and get a better decision I think that really helped build that DNA in the beginning. So I think I look at it positively because I was always very, very sort of unsure because is this the re- is this really what they want? Can I talk to one more user and just confirm that? I think that that insecurity actually built a really good culture of being very data backed, being very, very first principle, and I think that has helped us across the last, last six years. Fantastic. So there is FOMO when yeah. you're building. <laughs> Are you missing out on? knowing the user fully yeah. and that is helpful especially now because like we launched moj right in the last 9 months a lot of people are using it organically like the moment we push out a new feed change there are like half the company complaining or celebrating like they have built a much better intuition in the last 9 months on moj than they built on shared chat in the last 6 years so there's a very very different sort of understanding that you build when you use your product yourself uh, and i think that, that that makes a big difference in the culture fantastic Actually, that's a very good segue into what I want to talk about next, and just switching gears to what the company is today. Right today, we are not a single social network. We are, in fact, a content ecosystem. We have two very large products running. So, why do we have two products? I think a lot of people have this question on their minds. Right? What is the mission of this company, and how do both products fit into this wider mission that Mahalla Tech as a company has? So there are a few 
common core tenets to how we build products and and both modern sharejar are, are part of that i think at a at a larger picture we are trying to build india's largest ai powered content ecosystem and the fundamental tenet is we believe that you don't need a social graph to rank in personalized public content that's the fundamental thesis with which we are going against a lot of players existing incumbents in the market and both sharejar and moj if you look at them at the core they are nothing but ranking problem statements sharechat is a multi format ranking ranking problem statement moj is single format short video ranking problem statement so at the core they are powered by the same feed infra but users use use them for a very different reason so sharechat they use to find latest trends so if there is like covid cases going high in my city you will find a trending hashtag which says that and people are sharing opinions so it's much more like a twitter weibo kind of a, a product in in that sense you will find latest fashion trends bollywood gossip news whatever you want to find so it's a product for you to remain updated and therefore the shelf life of content is shorter on sharechat on moj mm. the primary use case is just to entertain yourself and spend time therefore the shelf life becomes becomes larger on moj in fact people don't care like how if there is a one year old content that you have not seen but is really good you will still enjoy that in moj but in sharechat you will find it stale and we we have actually run ab test if we show the exact same feed to you on sharechat but just make the date one day earlier the engagement goes down oh. so people come with the proposition on on sharechat that i will find the most latest fresh trending content of my liking on this platform that's very interesting so even though to a layman who's not a user it may seem like there is overlap in content but what you're saying is that the way the user perceives it is so fundamentally different yeah and these users are i mean they do come from tier 2 towns and beyond but they're smart enough to know which product is for what use case and which one is for what use yeah. case yeah like when you have a large railways exam you will always have a hashtag trending in share chat hindi where people are sharing sample papers of that event so it's a very very event driven traffic as well on share chat whereas moj I think we we find much more stable traffic across festivals, events, and all of that because it is more about you coming back home after a hard days of work. You want to like enjoy, have fun. You open the app and you consume content. So it's very casual, very entertainment centric. Whereas Sharechat is very like a lot more event specific. Fantastic. So one thing that uh, that you mentioned that we are now a AI driven content ecosystem, right? Versus just saying that we are a social network or we are a short video app right and that to me is super interesting because that is something that that has happened in my view fairly recently right over the last one year when did you start looking at the business this way how has your approach changed uh, since this happened yeah so i think we've we've gone through a lot of internal searching about about a direction about how should we envision share chat for the last 5 years and then moj also in the last one year i think we from the very beginning what we figured was that we were always getting gains when we were making iterations on our trending feed which is ml driven but we were trying very very hard to build a follow feed because that's all we learned from the silicon valley playbooks and blogs that like you have to have a follow and a social graph and a follow feed for you to have long term retention like you you need to make that network happen and, and all of that so we tried very hard so there was one parallel track in making follow feed better there was one parallel track in making ml feed better 
and we figured that this audience one they have no existing understanding or or mental models of products the western products so when they come onto the internet they have a very simple expectation i have downloaded this app i will tap on this button give me content this whole concept of i will go build my like follow connections and build my feed is a very evolved internet user behavior like mm-hmm. these people have a very simple mindset i i click on the button give me content and it's actually very logical why should we want to make you wait and do all of these actions when you don't even know the meaning of follow like follow means picha karo in hindi so it's very very evolved use case and therefore i think we we figured even though we tried very hard to make the follow feed work we figured it is always the ml feed whenever we make iterations or improvements there we get the gains and it's really hard to make people follow and understand that they have to go to follow feed and and sort of consume content so it was an evolving process at one point we also had competition from bytedance and they were trying to do the exact same thing they were also only focusing on ml based feed and i think at that point we were also trying to think they have a lot more capital how do we make sure that we are in a very capital efficient way able to scale our company so i think that is when we doubled down on social because because i think that we felt is a much more smarter way when you're competing against a 100 billion dollar company on the exact same strategy you don't want to take them head on but i think we realized during that journey as well that our dna is actually very very focused on fast execution very ml driven execution because the social path is actually slower and it is not as conducive to the new internet audience so mm-hmm. by first principles we didn't feel that was a way we were forced to do it for a few i think one year because of external pressures but i think since last one year we have gone back to our original strategy this is what india wants this is what we will build uh, an ml first feed both for shared chat and for watch that's the most efficient way of getting new internet users online and get them to consume content so yeah that's that's what we're doing now actually this fast execution uh, that you spoke about about the company i was watching it from very close quarters the whole world knows that you launched march in 30 hours flat and i remember some of our late night phone calls when you were getting ready to launch march but i'd love you to share a little bit more insights with uh, with the world on what allowed the company to launch march in 30 hours flat right there was a lot of learnings about the ai and the feed that you had gained by then what all were the ingredients that let you launch such a massive product in such a short time yeah so i think there was a lot of things uh, that were in in the play to make this happen i think one was just the fact that we had been in a very intense fight with bydance last two years we've had lawsuits we've had n number of things with them they had copied our product share chat to build hello and all of that so i think there was some amount of vengeance that if they go down we can't leave them uh, that's not going to happen so i think that was that also we knew short video is a very large market so we had seen that within share chat that that format even though short share chat is not a short video product but there are like that format still appears uh, in the video feed so we saw that it's a very massive massively growing format uh, in india and therefore when we got this opportunity i think we got to know at around 9 pm that the short video apps are going to exit the market within 20 minutes we had a new slack channel we called it project gold rush we moved like the growth pod in share chat it was a 10 membered pod 
we moved that entire pod, told them deprioritize everything, just build a short video app. And we have two days. And we end, ended up building it in 30 hours. Like beating our own deadline. And what we did was on the V1 is use ShareChat content supply because we have the most diverse Indian content supply already on ShareChat, even, on, even for short videos. We had a video player, which was about vert vertical swiping. So take that, lift that, put that in the new, new app. There were no other buttons. So that video player with ShareChat content supply was the V1. And we built that in 30 hours. And I think within a week, we were at 20 million MAUs. Yeah, yeah. Those, those, those are the days when you see the graphs go like this, well and truly uh, up and up, up. Those were the days when I was sharing daily DAO growth rates. Yeah. <laughs> day on day growth that's fantastic so so Ankush so while while that launch was fantastic I think one of the things that that would have been very different was how do you track the two businesses right the metrics that you track in the early days because ShareChat took some time to find its PMF right it was a new to the market yeah. product whereas Moj uh, was a product that whose PMF was fairly well established you knew that yes, the Indian users and the global users want a short video product. Mm -hmm. So how is your approach different in building and tracking and growing these two businesses? Yeah, I think ShareChat was very organic how every startup figures out a PMF. Like, as I mentioned, they were from that insight that there is this large gap in the market of non-English content to us hitting the PMF version. I think we took about 11 months. So we, we launched the current feed version in October 2015. And we went through the, those iterations of public chat room, chatbots and all of that. So I think it was a very, very sort of, we, we were unsure at every point as to where will this product go or company go. And we just kept iterating and finding the next step jump to arrive at ShareChat. So it was a very organic, slow moving thing. It, it took us six years to get to 160 million MAUs in ShareChat. The first one year was a washout. Like we just were iterating to find the PMF. And even after that, again, it was a new model. We didn't have so much capital. We had to bake in a lot of viral loops and, and WhatsApp sharing and attributions to get their organic loop working. So I think it was in general a very slower path because we were learning, we were building a team and all of that. With Moj, I think we had a very good team already in place, which had built a UGC product, built an ML feed. We had very good investors on our side. We had a lot of capital on our side and we knew what to do. Like we had seen how short video had grown. It was a post PMF product. And you have to launch it and grow it ASAP. And it's a large market. So I think we took that very ruthless approach that we just need to like launch it in 30 hours and scale it. Again, I find it very, very surprising. 20 million MAUs in a week. I never imagined like we would scale a product so fast. But I think when you get when you, when you get a good team, the right amount of capital and the right direction, like you can just make things move very fast. I love the aggression in your voice that you still get when you about that, that launch period so i know that uh, the launch was great there's a lot but there's a lot that's happened post-launch on moj on just improving the product and the overall experience and the nirvana metric the retention right over the last three quarters right now everybody knows retention is valuable you were probably the first ones in the country to talk about retention and not doubt so can you talk a little bit about how moj has evolved from that first version which is what you yeah. built to where it is today. What's been the journey for Moj itself? Yeah, so I think after, the, like the first week was a frenzy. We were all just like getting the code together to put that out. 
having a product like Moj as a part of your company is a decade-long commitment. It's a very, very large product, requires a lot of investment. It is a post-PMF product, but there is a still a lot of first principle like problem solving that you have to do, especially on the feed side, to make it really big. So I think over the like once that frenzy was over, we have been constantly working disproportionately more on the feed side because we believe that is what is gonna take our attention higher and DAOs higher. Supply we believed is a solved problem. Like you had a hundred million DAU product and there were like millions of short video creators already putting content. So there was a lot of supply already. If you build a high DAU product with good feed, they will flock to your platform and put content. So supply is not to be solved in the short term, in the next six, 12 months. But what we need to really solve is the feed. And we have been constantly working on that. Our AI team was in war mode for, for the first three months. In fact, the whole company was in war mode for the first month, no Sundays. If you want a downtime, you just slack and say, I'm down for eight hours. The AI team was in war mode for a much longer time because we had to build a lot of feed infra. And I think we have been focusing just on that. How do we keep improving our personalization uh, on the Moj feed? And that is... I think the the work is still not done. Like it's the, for the next five, 10 years or, or maybe more, I think that is one thing which will always keep improving and, and giving us gains. So so we will keep working on, on the feed algo for uh, the foreseeable future. Fantastic. Fantastic. So Angush, let's let's zoom out a little bit and say let's let's not talk about the next year or so, but more the five, ten year horizon. Right? And not just for Moj and share chat, but more broadly, the role of AI in content consumption, right? You're building this technology grounds up. So what are some of the new use cases that you feel uh, AI could power in content consumption? What are you most excited about as you look at the role of AI and ML over the next five, 10 years in your organization? Yeah, so I think we have been very, very surprised with a lot of things that have happened especially over the last two years with what AI could do for our problem statement. So I think one of the theme which is emerging and even as a company, we are now, all the PMs are now working at a higher abstraction level when they're trying to solve a problem. So earlier, if you were to, let's say, classify a user, like you want to represent a user in your system, you would have different metas of that user. Is it the gender, age, location? So you would have all of these dimensions on which you would measure a user and then you would want to do your product operations that you want to target this content to this user on that. I think what we have seen happen over the last one or two years is AI is actually much powerful in representing the user in ways we can't understand. So these are the dimensions you can't understand, but they are much more powerful of defining a user into a mathematical vector. So now if you have a problem statement that you want to find two users who are very similar on their personalities or interest in, in content, the earlier approach would be you would find a statistical model to find their preferences, quantify it, and then uh, see which is closer. We find that that is much worse as an approach versus if you take the mathematical vectors which the ML model has predicted and just take a dot product. So the fact that AI is able to represent every user, every content in a mathematical vector I think that's a very, very powerful thing to have. So a lot of things that we're now doing as a company, which we're doing in a very different way. So for example, we were trying to look at how far is fashion content consumer from a cricket content consumer. 
there are some, some problem statements which need us to quantify that again the earlier approach would have been a very statistical approach where we find the what is the overlap in consumers let's say who like that content or whatever right now what we do is we have these like you find the clusters of cricket content you find the clusters of fashion content you find then mediums and take the distance so everything becomes a mathematical formula and it is it is a much powerful way to represent a user and a content so currently all of our problem statement revolves around matching a user and content but we were also imagining like what about matching a user and user a lot of dating products actually use that what is the success metric for a dating product you want to find two individuals whom if you if you get them connected they will have a long chat on and and some success metric they will gift or whatever so it is again a user to user matching problem i have seen a lot of older products asking the tell your interest what, what are you interested in then we will find people with common interest i think it is again a very very old way of thinking the new way is how can you very smartly map these users in a mathematical vector and then find the closest people so i think this this is a larger theme which ai is enabling across all industries i think just the the fact that it can represent every data point or every entity much more powerfully than any pm could do is itself a very powerful concept i think that that meta concept is going to scale across all industries and help all industries so i think that's one the other thing that we have tried with not so much bandwidth and effort but we we are confident that we would be able to generate content without having humans we will have an ai generated content in the next 5 10 years so we have tried that with shairis it was a small fun project in the company we used gpt2 to learn from all the hindi shairis and generate a new shairi and we tried to put some of these shairis on our platform and we actually found they have an above average engagement by view so it was really fascinating to see that and and these were actually good shairis so these were hindi shairis and we were trying to put a token word and they actually made sense and they were sometimes funny sometimes very sad sometimes like a breakup shairi and the ai was able to come up with all of these on its own so i think that is is powerful going forward i think there are a few use cases which are very very sort of closer to how visual content will be generated and and one of the examples there is so if you are doing a live stream and this is very good for live stream not not for short video as much in a live stream most of your visual information actually doesn't change you have a person who's slightly shaking on the screen on lips are moving all of that so could you instead of transmitting the visual information have that image encoded in a way that you are only transmitting the information of let's say lip movement not the entire visual information but you have sort of broken that person down into like eyes nose lips all the all the entities and you only share the information of what is moving this is very similar to how games render graphics so in a massively multiplayer game you are not just transmitting the visual information if somebody puts a right arrow key on their keyboard you send that information to a main server that move this player right and that allows thousands of people to play together now if you have the same similar type of analogy with live streams you will be able to have a thousand people live streaming together with, with very low bandwidth requirements mm. so everyone would actually be rendering the visual on the client and not like just getting the pixels from the server i think that is one of the themes i feel will uh, become a reality in the next 5 to 10 years where 
our visuals will be will be encoded in way which is information and not pixels that are being transmitted to the other party fantastic fantastic so one area ankush i know you've been working on and you you've touched upon is the role of ai in preventing abuse as well as privacy issues that is something which has become now a mainstream cause of concern for everyone how do you see the role of ai in these areas for share chat and moch are you already working on some of these areas how are you making this platform safe for people to work, to use yeah i think ai is equally powerful in in these use cases so we we spend a lot of our energy into multimodal content understanding what that essentially means is for every single text video image audio how can we represent or understand about that content like a human would so can you for example do an nlp on an odia text and figure out that this is actually doing dog whistling or it's some anti religion content so you want to try to build a classifier for all languages which could detect these bad behaviors so that's one big area of investment where we again even today the first line of defense that we have as a company against bad content is ai so our ai classifier would give every single content a rank as to how likely is it to be an undesirable content be it pornographic be it hate speech be it whatever and then you have the human layer after that so 90% of your cases are so obviously undesirable content that they the ai itself can take uh, action on it and then you get the humans involved after that so i think it's a it's a big area of investment and and research for us and the problem becomes multifold for us because we are in a 15 language sort of setup so understanding hate speech in odia or or in a very small language is a very difficult problem compared to hindi or tamil where you have open source models available which can like they're off the shelf models that you can use hmm. so a lot of these things will have to be built first time around yeah um, by this there is nothing to rely fact, on so we we are about to release our nsfw model and our ocr model so we used to use third party solutions but over the last 6 years we've built our own and actually beaten some of these so our current indic language ocr is actually working better than google's and ah. we do that internally with data so we will be open sourcing both these projects very soon fantastic that's actually i think it's going to be helpful for a lot more startups right if they're building yeah. something which helps especially in the area of privacy and abuse i think it's it's very responsible to just make it open source yeah so and like just for a vision uh, for the company right so do you see us continuing to build these multiple products or at some point in time there'll be consolidation where the products will be brought back into one umbrella how do you see uh, mohalla tech as a company evolving see the strength of the company i think will remain in ai that is what we envision because even within shared and moj we are finding that whenever we make an improvement in our core ai infra feed infra it ends up benefiting both the products so our ability to invest in our ai is actually much higher than anyone else because two of our main products are so dependent on that so i think that is the lens with which we are looking so today what i can say confidently is any content ranking problem statement in the country we are the best company to solve that be it news ranking be it some other ranking if if it is a content ranking problem you can't beat us and and we would want to have those separate avenues 
or, or separate products because that enables us to invest more in our AI. So we want more opportunities so that we can invest further in our AI team, infra and all of that. So I think that's the lens that we, we are going to go forward with. Fantastic. Uh, Ankush, I, I have to say this the vision and plan for you that you have for the company is super inspiring. And I really have to pinch myself sometimes that this is all that you have achieved in a short span of six years. A lot of these conversations take me back to the chats that the four of us used to have sitting in Harry's or on that empty third floor below our uh, core Mangla office. I think a lot of those ideas that seemed like moonshots then are probably much closer now to seeing their light of day. Fantastic. Angush, I want to talk a little bit about you as an individual as well and your evolution along with the company. Right. So we invested back in 2015. Then you raised a Series A about a year later. Then uh, in Jan 2018, you raised the 18 million round. And then we had a 10 million MAU, I think, and about 50 to 70 people in the company. So where exactly in this journey along this way was like the tipping point for you personally, where you went from being a founder out of college to you knew that you are going to be a CEO of a very large business. What was that point where that switch mentally happened for you? Yeah, I think it's been a journey full, full of ups and downs and I have individually evolved as well. If I be very honest here i think the first three four years we felt w were a bit easy because once we got the pmf and the organic loop kicking in it just grew on its own like it, the product we had to make small iterations but it still like was in, improving on its own i think the first time we got real competition with bydance coming in I, I think that really that woke us up from semi-sleep and i think that is when we we started looking at all dimensions of a company and i think that is when you become from a founder to an executive you are now responsible for growing this company and and what are the different dimensions that you have to proactively work on like if you have a really good product which grows on its own a lot of your deficiencies are hidden because investors are happy you are happy employees are happy like what's the hurry in in improving things but i think when when you see somebody who's doing very similar things but faster better you want to you want to match that you want to beat that Org is a very vast topic. There are so many dimensions in, in which you can optimize the org, grow the org, make it better. Things like you mentioned, how do you percolate the culture? So at a, till a 50-member team, you can do it by talking to people because all of these are mostly from your network. You know them, they are friends. But when you grow to 100, 200, 300, how do you very, very methodically do all of that? Like percolate culture and, and set up the right processes, performance and all of that. So I think... Once we saw that there are better ways of doing our own business and we saw that externally that we are not doing a good job on every dimension. There are deficiencies in, in certain areas. I think that is when I got very, very proactive. And again, this is similar to what I said about the product. I became unsure. Like, is, is our ESOP policy, for example, is it the best? Like, why are these things? So you start questioning every single thing. Why is this designed like that? And I think that is very, very important for, for you to think beyond product. Like running an org itself is like a product. You have employees coming in, you have a set of process, they have retention, they exit. So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's very similar to a content product, the way I, I look at it. I think during 2018, when we had the first legit competition, 
that was a kick, kick in our gut that we need to pull up our socks and be better all around as a company. It's not just one good product that you've built and you can just survive. You have to build a very good company all around. I think that was the first sort of thing. The second big moment happened, I think, last year during the pandemic where I think out of abundance of caution and I think the whole industry was going through a, a sort of a paranoia about what will happen to the future and there were layoffs and all of that. I think that was also a very learning experience for me individually that it's a, it's a very, very hard decision. I think it's one of the hardest things to do is to let go people that have worked for you for, for so long. I think that was a very learning experience that changed me uh, as an individual. And I think there were a few times during building the company when we were, ha- we had m and offers and, and all of that. I think those are also very, very profound moments, not for the outcome, but they really make you feel internally. What are you like? What is your core drive? Why do you want to build this business? I think those are the few moments I can think of, which made me a different individual coming out of that event. Ankush, I, I strongly believe that you are one of the most brave and empathetic CEOs that I have worked with. So where does this ambition come from? Right, you are building now a team in the US. You are hiring people in Silicon Valley. You've spoken about taking Moj International at some point in time after dominating India. These are like very, very big goals. These are not heard of kind of goals coming out of India, uh, right? What what drives you to chase these goals and build this ambition inside of you? Yeah, I think at this point, it's just the hunger of building a large company, solving hard problems, creating more impact. I think at this point, I think that is what gives us kick. And honestly, that gives me happiness. So I am optimizing for happiness in my life at every single second. And I think beyond a level, money stops giving you happiness. I think that's sorted. So what else could you sort of do to get that happiness? And I think for me, it is solving hard problems, seeing a large impact, like the product that you've built is being used by so many people. It's changing life, transforming lives for the better. I think all of that is what gives me kick. And I think we have the luxury of time on our side uh, that we're very young. Although there's a debate on longevity, will that uh, will that happen in our lifetimes or not? But assume longevity is not happening right now. We have the luxury of having time on our side. So I think that also gives you a kick that you can build a very, very large business. Like there's, there should be no limit that you want to build a 10 billion, 20 billion, 100 billion business. Like it could be as large as any other company in the world. It's limited by your dreams and ambitions. So I think the, the way of doing it is just strive for happiness. And, and if, if happiness comes with scale and, and solving problems, I think you would end up building a large business. Thank you. Thank you, Ankush, for sharing your views so candidly with all our listeners. I think many young founders who are listening to this would find inspiration from your vision. And uh, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you once again, Ankush. It's been an absolute pleasure to do this with you and to be your co-passenger on this amazing journey that you've been on. Thanks. Thanks, Mayank, for having me. And we are always grateful to have you as one of our investors and, and partners in our journey. Thank you for having me here. Thank you.